0: Well hey there all you tri-freaks and geeks, this is Coach Brett with another great episode of Zen and the Art of Triathlon. On this week's episode we are going to talk about how to do a proper FTP test on your bike. FTP, functional, threshold, power, that is the big number you want on your bike. It's a very important number to know and we're going to cover how to test it correctly and also how to test it incorrectly and not many people know how to do it right. So we're going to cover the the right way to do it. And then also how to uh, use that number in racing. And then we have an email question about what heart rate rate range to be in to burn the most fat. I have tips on how to get water out of your wheels. You can get uh, water... It's really crazy, in your in your aero wheels, in the carbon, up in there, or in the fairings, and the uh, the easiest way to get those out, and then also I spent a day answering questions on Twitter, all about triathlon training, covers everything, even CrossFit, and I'll, I will reread those questions and answers to you, and that and a whole bunch more, we're in Ohio for uh, uh, youth nationals, so there'll be lots of that as well, oh, and an interview with the guy that won a local triathlon that i was just in and it's a lot of fun so that and a whole bunch more coming up now on the zen tri podcast here we go
1: you are listening to zen and the art of triathlon (laughs)
0: All right, Hey, 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 all you nasty little try freaks out there. This is Coach Brett with another episode of Zen Try. And like I just mentioned, we are on the road in Ohio. I spent two days driving in a car with six other people. How many of them were children? Three. Three children, four adults. Um, driving from Texas all the way to Cincinnati, uh, through Kentucky, and uh, Tennessee, a little bit of um, Arkansas even, and it's been uh, quite the trip. Two days nonstop driving, staying at uh, hotels and trying to get workouts in, in spite of it all. Uh, we've got one of the kids is at is that perfect age where he asks if we're there yet about every 30 minutes, <laughs> and we're all in one suburban. Uh, Kai has two, it's Kai and then two friends that are also on his kids' triathlon team that are doing nationals here. And they uh, the thing is, is at their age, they don't have to qualify for nationals. If you just want to go, you can go. And uh, so we're taking advantage of that. We went last summer too, and it's a lot of fun. And at this age, it's cool to see the older kids um, that they can identify with a little bit. Uh, doing just all out racing and, and them get, getting to be a part of it is pretty cool. But we're all in a suburban with the, uh, f- with four bikes on the back and then some uh, like one of those tents uh, folded up on top. And uh, what, at one point we're going uh, through a small town in Kentucky because there was um, a construction slowdown that was going to take an hour delay. So we did, you know, around, using Google Maps, went around it through this little town. And as we were going through this tiny little town in Kentucky, we were laughing to ourselves because there was a guy standing on the street corner (laughs) that apparently we were so bizarre looking with this Suburban with all this gear hanging off of it that um, he stood there, his mouth opened up agape, and then his cigarette hung from his lower lip. (laughs) And he just stared at us. Frozen, but his head on a swivel as we slowly went by. And taking turns driving and all that. um, Finding how to, figuring out how to work out in hotels is always a struggle. Um, We stayed in Memphis, and the hotel had a a rooftop pool. And I kind of played around in the water there with a drag chute because the pools are small, you know. So you can lengthen out the uh, length of a pool by adding a drag chute. And then I lifted weights and ran on the treadmill. Treadmill, the uh, weight room, the fitness rooms a lot of times don't open until 6 a.m., but I'm in there at 5, whatever, with the lights off, running anyway, in spite of it all, and doing uh, a little bit of weightlifting. You don't have to do much time weightlifting to feel really good. So that's our adventure so far. We'll have, um, the race isn't for another few days, so on the next episode, we will cover a little bit of the audio from the racing and kind of see how that goes down. And let's, uh, well, like I said, we're going to cover FTP and a whole bunch of other things in this show, but we do have a little bit of triathlon news, so let's go ahead and go to the press room. Here we go. All right, the biggest news out there right now is about Ironman Canada. That's the one on the west coast of Canada in Whistler. It's absolutely beautiful, rugged. It's uh, amazing, an amazing location. I did it last summer with some friends and last summer it was a the pro field was men's only pro field with the promise that the uh women's pro field was going to be the only one this this year and that that's what happened we had female pros and lindsay corbin won it and this is cool because lindsay corbin has been struggling the past couple years with just random setbacks of time penalties and just stuff that's irritating and, uh, suboptimal as Chrissy Wellington would say. And it was her as the, uh, as a strong contender and also Rachel Joyce and Rachel Joyce had the, um, the, the worst (laughs) sports injury of them all, which is pregnancy (laughs) takes you out for a year or more. And the, um, that's a joke. It's not a sports injury, but the uh, great thing is uh, Rachel actually was was back at the uh, starting line. I think she Rachel Joyce did Ironman Boulder uh, recently and did really well, and so now uh, she was going to try to get some more points to get to Kona with this Whistler race. And again, this is only women's pro field, no men pro field in this thing so you can be a man and do the race you just can't can't race it as a pro all right so the details are and this is good stuff about how to how to win a longer race corbin lindsey corbin who won came out of the water in seventh seventh place so people out there that are um thinking that they got to win the swim no that's how you lose the race you just kind of need to keep up with everybody in the swim and not fall back too far And seventh place on the swim is very typical of an Ironman win. Uh, Four and a half minutes, no, almost five minutes behind the uh, winner of the swim. Isn't that interesting? And then on the bike, came up to uh, second place, but still um, 655 behind Rachel McBride, who's also a famous badass pro, and then... During the run, surge to the front, as a slow twitch says, um, with the women's best run. There you go. With your 308. It's a real hilly run. Uh, 308 marathon to finish in 917. And that just shows you how hard this race is. 917 is um, sounds really fast, and it is. But for an Ironman, compared to like a flat, fast Ironman, that's kind of slow. Which just shows you, I think it's the fifth hardest Ironman course out there. And she won with a seven-minute and 43-second victory, margin of victory, over um, second was Jen Annette, and third was Rachel McBride. No news here if they saw any bears out on the course like we did last year, but that was always interesting. Rachel Joyce, I was, I was kind of following the whole thing, and Rachel Joyce fell behind on the bike really bad and then caught up on the run, big time, but still not enough. And let's see what Rachel's time was. Rachel has been on the podcast. Rachel started out as a big time uh, age grouper and then worked her way up to, to being a pro and being a perennial podium finisher or top 10 at Kona Ironman Hawaii yeah here's the thing I was looking for is at one point on the bike Rachel Joyce was 18 minutes behind the lead that is a lot so I wonder what was going on with Rachel on the bike um, if she had some bike trouble she was riding one of those really cool super cool new um, Cervelo's the the Cervello beam bike which you know it's starting to get to be time for all the bike releases for next year as we get closer to Kona, these companies start dropping hints and showing what bikes they've got coming. I think it's about time for Trek to come out with something new. Trek kind of stayed out of that war last year with all the beam bikes and the drop tube, the, the down tube taper like the Diamondback does and the Cervelo does. And, yeah, so that was that news in Ironman. And then just a little scheduling and location tip. It looks like Interbike is moving to Reno, Tahoe next year because it's been in Vegas uh, for gosh I don't know how many years Interbike is where they show off a whole lot of cool bike stuff love that thing I want to go to it someday and I've never really been into going to Vegas but maybe you know go to go to Reno Tahoe for it someday that would be pretty cool alright so we're gonna cut the news short with that because we got a whole lot of stuff to cover and I'm going to skip any sponsorship mentions mentions until we get done with the most important thing. We're going to talk about FTP, Functional Threshold Power or Protocol. I get kind of caught between the two. But what happens is people are always asking, what's your FTP? Because once you know your FTP, and this is a number, it'll be anywhere between, I don't know, 150 and 400 watts depending on how powerful you are on the bike. And watts is measured uh, with a power meter on your bike one way or another. And the higher that number is, the more you can predict what your finish time, it's, it's very highly correlated with your finish time in uh, bike racing. And then once you know this number, you can do a lot of things smarter, the longer your race is, which is uh, very, very, very important in Ironman because it's not just a long bike race. It's also a very long bike race with a marathon on top. And you really need to stay on top of how much you've beat up your legs before you get started on that run. People over bike like crazy. And if you know this number, you can do exactly the right thing on the bike. Over biking is where you bike too hard. Because you forget that there's a run after this, or you conveniently forget about how hard that run is, you get all caught up in the moment on the bike. So if you know your FTP number, then you can watch some other numbers while you're on the bike, and then bike correctly. I consider it so useful that it's practically cheating, and it definitely can take the fun out of racing, because now you're not going by feel, you're just going by numbers, but crossing the finish line, having your best race you've ever had is also an amazing feeling as well. So you want to go there if you can. And let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about the wrong way to do an FTP test. Oh, I also wanted to mention, once you know your FTP, then you can do Uh, workouts smarter to increase your FTP because there's a type of workout well there's lots of different workouts where it's based uh, what you put out now right this minute is based on what your what your known FTP is and if you're if you know your FTP pretty accurately then those workouts are very impactful and can be greatly improving and can lift your FTP number pretty quickly uh, over time so Let's hop on over to how the classic wrong way of doing an FTP test is um, out there that you can Google and find pretty much anywhere, and that is to do a 20-minute test going all out, and then once you have your 20-minute test, then you take 95% of the average during that test, and then that is your FTP for an hour, which is pretty crazy that... you can do for an hour 95% of what you can do for 20 minutes. And it turns out that this, this kind of test seems to be made for people like on track bikes or people r- riding completely on flats. Um, people that are going to be doing like a half hour or an hour race. Um, not for people that are doing long races over uh, varying terrain, rolling terrain with, with uh tailwinds and and other stuff uh, downhills mixed in because what happens is you quickly figure out when you take these 20-minute tests ways to game the test ways to milk the most watts out of your um, out of your test now a watt we need to cover that is a very convenient way of talking about power so a watt is torque times revolutions so you it's a it's a measure there's a meter that goes somewhere in your bike that, that can must stress how much force you're applying and it's force times how many revolutions or torque times how many revolutions equals force and then that's your watts it's a lot like horsepower where you look in your car and you've got the rpms and then you have and that would be your your cadence and then uh the torque coming out of the engine is the, um, is the same thing as torque, how hard you're pressing down on a pedal stroke. It's uh, universally used throughout engineering and physics, so it's a very common, common number. So it's unfortunate that currently power meters are still priced where it's considered an extra and that you don't get one unless you're a very, very, very serious cyclist. And it's unfortunate because it's one of those things that if you got one, it would turn you into a very good cyclist very quickly and lift you up out of that kind of no man's land of trying to get better but not, not knowing how. And so it's one of those, it's one of those investments that can make a, um, a huge difference and change you from being a very average cyclist into being a very great cyclist But it's also one of those things that people, uh, the average cyclist just says, oh, you know, I don't want to buy that. I can just go out and train on my own. But it turns out not having a power meter is a huge limiter in your training because it tells you so much stuff. It's really great. I always say not having power on your bike is like going to the gym and lifting weights without numbers on it. You don't know how much weight you're actually lifting and then so, and then the next workout you go do, you go to a different gym with no numbers on the weights as well. And then the next workout you do, you go to another different gym, and you don't know how many, um, you don't know the numbers that are supposed to be on the weights. <laughs> Can you imagine? Like I don't know what I'm lifting, and and you don't know if you're improving. You don't know if what you're doing is improving you, and you don't know how much work you're actually doing. And in the real world, when you're out there bike riding, um, speed is a is not really all that great of a um of a number to know and your heart rate uh because speed can vary a lot based on the terrain and based on the wind and the heat and everything and then also your heart rate is the same thing um but what you can do is you can pair your heart rate and with your watts and your speed with your watts and then you know how effective the work that you're putting out, because watts is your work. And if you have these other things like heart rate and speed, then you can tell um, how hard you're working to get that work done and then also the impact uh, of your, on your body and then the result of the speed, um, how efficient you are at getting distance over time um, out of that work that you're doing. Okay, so that's a whole lot of stuff all about... All about uh, why you should get a power meter. I've had one for, I don't know, 10, 15 years. And if mine broke, I would immediately go get another one. That, and that's a good sign of that these things are awesome. And they're coming down in price. Uh, ever constantly, but still a good one. Yeah, you know, you might be talking 1000 bucks, maybe 600 to to 1000 uh, But again, it's one of those things that will lift you up and out of the no man's land of not knowing what you're doing so much. But let's talk about the test. <laughs> Get back on, on, uh, on course here and talk about the test itself. So they say go out and do a 20-minute test as hard as you can. And the way that you can start gaming this is you realize that it's easier to put out um, a higher number, to put out more work, when you're going into harder resistance. And this is because um, it's easier to find watts when you're going uphill or into a headwind. And this is because the watts are more uh, presenting themselves against your crank and you don't have to search for them as much. So think about this, when you go uphill, Do you know how, like, every pedal stroke, is uh, the hill is presenting you with more work? Um, And it's super easy to spin the cranks and find resistance, right? Now, if you ride downhill, then you might notice that it's actually harder to find resistance in the cranks Because every pedal stroke that you make, your bike lurches forward, downhill, and gravity assists in that lurch, and then um, the gap between the pedal stroke and then the next pedal stroke is bigger um, because the bike has lurched forward a little bit more, and then your pedal stroke has to find the bike to work against, find the ground to work against um, a little bit harder uh, to find that because the distance that the bike has lurched forward, but if you're going uphill, you push the bike with your pedal crank, and with your pedal crank, with your uh, pedal, and then gravity um, immediately grabs your bike, and well, it never even leaves, it goes, um, hey, no, and throws the bike right back at you, And so you, as soon as you finish that one stroke, the bike is pushing back against you again. So those little gaps in, the difference in the gaps between uh, pedal strokes when going uphill with resistance, uh, the resistance that uphill gives you versus when you go downhill and gravity pulling the bike away from you. Um, As Jordan Rapp said, uh, he's a pro, he was on the show before, he said, Um, that's called, it's easier to find Watts when you go uphill because the Watts are being pushed against you for you to find. And so a FTP test that is, um, not, well, let's say an FTP test that is uphill, um, is a really good reflection of the watts you could put out if your race was uphill, but your race is not uphill. Your race is actually most likely um, beginning and ending at the same elevation, and yeah, it has uphills in it, but it also has downhills in it and it's it could have mountainous terrain, rolling terrain uh, flat terrain, it could have all those different types of terrain in it, and your um, your test isn't like that, especially if you condense your test down to 20 minutes to get an effective test. And also the ego wants you to have as high a number as possible. You are going to go harder and then, um, then, than what you would think. And then also your, your watts are going to be artificially high um, because you're going to start searching out um, into the wind and uphill to make those numbers actually high. And then what happens is, is you go out on the on the uh, race course on race day uh, with this number, thinking that that um, 300 watts is your FTP, and then trying to trying to base your race num- your race off of that number when 300 watts was your FTP when going uphill. It's not your number when going on rolling terrain. It would be more like uh, 290 or 280 uh, on rolling terrain. Now, the other thing is that doing something for 20 minutes is completely different than doing something for an hour. And it's actually completely different than doing something for uh, five hours, which is what an Ironman would be. Five hours or more. And some of us, many of us out there are physiologically built as sprinters. Um, I'm one. And uh, if you were better in sprint sports and burst speed sports and strength sports and um, doing longer stuff, you're, there's people that are built for that better. The longer it goes, the better that they do. When you do something for 20 minutes, you're, what you can do in that test is um, nowhere near as closely correlated with what you could do for five hours as you think. And especially, there's a whole thing with um, four or five hours out. Um, now, that's going to start including uh, fueling, how good you are at fueling, hydrating, and pacing yourself. Not doing, going too hard up, up hills and then blowing up, um, drinking enough water, how well nailed you've got your... Um, your you know salt intake and your your carb intake and not getting sick to your stomach and can you hold that bike position for for five hours you know so um again the 20-minute test is just so far out there that it's <laughs> if i would do a 20-minute test i'd knock 10 percent off that number uh per, you know compared to doing something for uh for five hours trying to uh, correlate the two of them and uh 10% more off of it than what you would stretch it out for a five-hour race so I remember when I went out for some of my first FTP tests it was hey you know warm up for 20 minutes you know do a couple of uh, real short few minute long intervals going pretty hard and that really warms up your legs and then go and um, bike yeah, all out for 20 minutes. And so uh, I remember going on a map and like going, okay, for that 20 minute I can ride around here for a while, and I can do my little warm-ups. Okay, and then to get the most out of the test, then I'm going to do this 20-minute, where can I find a 20-minute tr- stretch that is net uphill, that's in general uphill, so I can make sure that I can see how many watts I can really put out. And so I had, I don't know, back then, you know, FTP of like uh, – it was probably two hundred and sixty or something like that, and I was like, "Okay, there we go." After that test, and then it was it was years later where I was reading up on how to do um, Iron Man training and and uh, smarter through Training Peaks, and the gold standard for how to do a true FTP test is completely different so what (laughs) this is more for um, Ironman they said uh, basically throw that FTP test that 20 minute thing out the window because that's just going to give you problems and instead look at a long bike ride that you've done with a power meter and a heart rate monitor and that also happens to have similar terrain over um what your race course is going to be like and find an hour out of that out of that bike ride and that is uh and out of that hour find the one that's the most like what your um, race is going to be like and then on top of that make sure that that hour you can go out on this ride with um with this intention that you're going to write an hour about like this with your medium zone too. So kind of like your pace that you can talk uh, at, that you're fueling well, where everything feels fine. You're not really pushing it. You're just kind of just riding kind of casually and having a nice time. Then on training peaks or one of these software programs, you select with the cursor on your mouse, you select that hour of race and in training peaks. If you select an hour, and I think on Strava might do it as well, um, if you have the Strava Pro edition, then you can select an hour of that um, of that workout, and it'll summarize the the hour for you. And in there is your Watts. Now, that's not your FTP. That's actually your watts that you held while feeling fine for an hour out there. And so, like, if I did that uh, recently, right now, it'd probably be around 215, 220 watts, right? And then if I um, divide that by 90%, then that'll tell me my actual hour-long maximum that I could do. And that ends up being around 300. And the whole point is you want your number that you can target for for longer races to actually be a reflection of what you are doing feeling good over longer races. And that a 20-minute test is so far off from a a longer race that um, it's it's just going to get you in trouble. It's actually not all that great. Now, would a 20-minute test be a good reflection of what you could do on a track bike for a for 30 minutes or for an hour? Yeah, it'd probably be pretty close. But then once in a race, you start dealing with coasting downhill and having a tailwind and then also having uh, the limitations of, of uh, fueling and hydration and heat and all that other stuff, you need to know um, more. it's more important for you to know how well you do what stretched out over time. And then once you have that number of what you do stretched out over time, then you can use that number to plan the rest of your day. And the great thing is is if you're training co- correctly, then you are actually going out on longer rides, three hour rides, four hour rides and maybe even five hour rides and you should be able to select, I wouldn't even say an hour, you could select huge chunks of that. You could select a three hour chunk of that and then go, okay, I, um, what did I average over three hours of this ride? Once I got my warm-up out of the way and then like this one section over here where we stopped to, to refill our water and pee and stuff like that, like I had a good chunk of casual pace on my bike. What were? What is the summary of that? What is the average of that? Because the computer says, you know, you did 200 watts. You're like, hey, man, I did 200 watts. Because you've got to respect the run. You've got to totally respect the run. You can't go too hard on the bike and then think that you're going to be able to run well. It just doesn't happen. So what was your average watts? Now, see, again, that is not your FTP. Instead, it's actually the number of uh, what you could hold um, and and bike casually over long periods of time. Now, you can divide that by 90% and then come up with your FTP, right? And then you don't need to do an FTP test because the problem with doing an FTP test, of doing all out for 20 minutes, is while it's convenient, it's also very inconvenient because it's going to knock you out of your training game For a week because you're completely blown out. Now, once you know your FTP number, you can do things like, oh wait, I need to back up a second. I've been saying 90%. I meant uh, 75%. You take a big chunk of time and then get your average watts for that. And then about 70, you divide that by um, 75%. So let's say 220 watts divided by 075 And that you come up with around 300 watts. So um, yeah, you take that, take that, and divide by 0.75 percent, and 0.75, and then that gives you your um, your what would be your FTP if you went all out for an hour. And oh my gosh, you never want to go all out for an hour. Can you imagine the recovery? (laughs) That'd be nuts. Okay, but now once you know this number, your FTP. So like I said, uh, mine is uh, around 300. So that means that uh, I can plan for how hard to go during all kinds of races. And there's, there's recommendations out there. And it depends on how fit you are and how good of a cyclist you are. But for an Ironman, typically 75% of FTP, if you've got some experience and you know what you're doing, is, um, is good – for your Ironman bike pace, uh, 80% to 82 80, maybe 85 For a half Ironman, probably more around 80%, 85%. Uh, for a half Ironman is, of your FTP is what you should be going. And then um, for an Olympic distance race, I'd have to go look. Um, now you're starting to get into just racing by feel, but maybe 90% of FTP maybe 92. Um, Anyway, there's all kinds of charts out there to show that uh, what you should go. So that's why it's really handy to know your FTP. Because um, with that number, you can you can plan how hard to go during a race. And what you do is you look to keep that average. So let's say for me, for an Ironman, it was 220 watts. So what I would try to do is average 220 watts on the bike while I'm riding. And while I'm doing that, try to keep my heart rate in zone two. And if my heart rate starts climbing, even though I'm only putting out 70, 75% of of, uh, FTP, if my heart rate starts going through the roof, that means I'm getting dehydrated. That means I'm... uh, getting overheated. Something's making my body work extra hard to put out those, out those watts. And then if my heart rate starts dropping and I can't seem to keep up the power of 75%, even though it's only 75% of my FTP, then that means I'm under fueling or I'm not drinking enough water and my fuel isn't working. That's another one that uh, if, you're, if your power's low and your heart rate's low and you feel sick, then uh, you're not drinking enough water with your fuel and you need to back off and drink uh, water, a lot of water for a while. So again, that's how you use heart rate with, um, with your Watts and those two together can actually let you have just an amazing bike ride and really enjoy yourself out there. Now, there's a small problem where the longer the bike ride the more your average time builds up and you can't tell if you're over biking or under biking watts because you've got three hours worth of average built up and to move the needle to, sh- to change that average number takes a lot of something um, higher or lower A lot higher or a lot lower than your average to uh, make it show up on the average and that's bad because you want your average uh, to be accurate and at least you want to be on the ball with that so what I do is I reset I watch the average watts for my lap my current lap. And then I have my lap reset every 20 or 30 minutes. You can do it automatically, or you can do it by hand if you want. And then it's, got, it's starting with a fresh calculation all over again. And um, if you start biking too hard, it shows up immediately in your average that you're like, oh, going too hard, going too, going too soft, whatever you're doing. Um, but then again, that average starts to get stale after 20 or 30 minutes. And it's hard to get that average to move quickly um, so you could get into problems there. So just hit the reset button again and again and again, every 20, 30 minutes, or again, uh, you know, automatically, you can have your bike computer do that. And it's actually kind of fun because you can get pretty good at it. Let's say you're targeting, targeting uh, 200 watts for your average on your, uh, on your per lap. And let's say you finish a lap and it had, some, it had a little bit more hills in it, and you went a little bit harder than you thought you were going to, so you ended up with 202 watts, 203 watts at the end of your uh, 30 minutes. And now it's recycled um, over. It started the lap over again. Um, so what I do is I, this time, to average it all out, I aim on this lap to do 198 watts. <laughs> so if I went a few watts over um, on my last lap, then this lap I do a few watts under and it really works it's really really cool and so you keep trying to uh, you know even it out and again if you're wrong on your numbers and you don't go hard enough you're like man well what if i don't what if i what if i don't get the most out of my bike dude you will make it up on the run okay <laughs> you can always underbike just a little bit and then make it up big time on the run like we just saw with that Lindsey corbin thing uh six minutes back on the bike at the at t2 and then the fastest split on the run and beat everybody by a big chunk of time right that's the whole point with the bike is you want to bike correctly or actually under bike just the tiniest bit and then um, you'll actually go faster during the race all right so that is basically the whole the whole story behind FTP and how to actually have a good FTP test so again a 20-minute FTP test is not made for longer distance bike racing and especially for longer distance bike racing with a run after it a sampling of one of your rides or many of your rides and sample those rides, get an average for the samples that are a reflection of what you're going to what you should do on race day and then use those numbers as your targets. If it's a nice, happy, you feel good and not pushing it too hard, zone 2, that chunk of time, an hour or more, hour, 2 hours, 3 hours. I've been known to grab like 2 hours out of a section out of one of my 3-hour bike rides and go, "Okay, I felt good during this bike ride." And I felt when I got off the bike that I could easily have run a long time afterwards. My fueling was good. Everything was good. It was casual. Um, It was a lot like what I'm going to do out there and what I'd like to do out there in the race. What was my average watts during that? It's like, okay, it was 200, 220 watts. And then I'll go, okay, just to be safe (laughs) during my race, I'm probably going to target 215 watts or 210 watts because still a two-hour sample is still not a three-hour sample or it's not, a, it's not an Ironman. It's not a five-hour sample of, of what you can do out there. And then that number is what you should target during your race for an Ironman. And then you can use that number to calculate what your FTP would be. And then knowing what your FTP is, you can, you can reverse engineer back what you should do in other races that are shorter, longer, you know, whatever you want to do. All right, that's enough of that. Let's take a break and mention a sponsor. All right, let's take a break from the program and talk about one of our great sponsors, Amrita Bars, A-M-R-I-T-A, Amrita Bars. You can get, let's see, what is the discount? I know the discount code ZEN. Get 15% off your order at AmritaHealthFoods.com on Amrita Bars with using the discount code ZEN. And what are Amrita Bars? Oh my gosh, they are the best. They are a longtime sponsor of ZenTry because I've been using them for a long time. The owner and founder is a cyclist. And he wanted to make bars that actually give you plenty of energy, are healthy, very, very healthy, and go down easily. And he nailed it. He nailed it a long time ago. This stuff is so good. They have uh, seeds instead of nuts. So if you have a nut allergy, they're wonderful for you. They have all kinds of awesome flavors and they're um, a bit soft and chewy so you don't get dry stuff all in the back of your throat whenever you're doing 30 miles an hour and you take a bite of one of these things. The way I eat it is I open up the end of the wrapper and uh, while I'm riding or sometimes before the ride and then I um, squeeze out like as much you know, a third of the bar maybe a quarter of the bar and take a bite and then drink it with some water. And it's got cardamom in it and that's a soothing spice that's awesome for the stomach. And just, it's just amazing, amazing stuff. And on top of that, they have really cool kit. They've got some of the, my favorite, actually, of uh, cycling jerseys out there. And they got a triathlon kit, cycling jersey, uh, socks, you know, like cycling socks, running socks. They're black with Amrita written across them in this really cool font and color. It's really awesome. So you can get yours by going to AmritaHealthFoods.com and looking for a place where you check out your order and typing in the code ZEN, and you get 15% off. That's huge. That's huge, 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 huge. All right, let's go back to the show and see what's up. Here we go. All right, let's have a little bit of fun here and pull in the audio from the interview with uh, Clayton, who is 26 years old, I think, and he did... The um, the kids' triathlon, <laughs> he's definitely not a kid, but he did the kids' triathlon where the parents and or an adult paired up with the kids. Um, and he's Kai's uh, triathlon team's coach. He's a grad student at Texas A&M. I think he's working on his PhD. Soon he'll be Dr. Clayton. And he um, uh, he won overall for the adults, I think a kid, like a 15 year old kid went faster than he did. There's some real phenomenal athletes around Austin. And Austin's one of those uh, towns that pros end up living in because it's really, really good for triathlon training. And the um, this interview is after the race, I'm talking with him about some shenanigans that went on <laughs> during the race, it's pretty funny. Here we go. All right, I am at the Hill Country Tri, Saturday, July 22nd, just south of Austin, a little town called Kyle, and that's a kid's triathlon where also the parents can go later in another wave after the kids, and uh, or adults can go, and you get teamed up with a team, so I'm on Team Kai, and then they compare the uh, kids, they combine the kids and the parents' time If you want to do that sort of thing. It's really about the kids. But it also lets the parents race too, I guess. But anyway, I'm here with that. And um, it's uh, an okay uh, race so far. There's lots of restrictions that are making it um, a little difficult at times. But yet again, you know, I show up at one of these races where um, as an adult, I'm like, you know, don't take it too seriously because it's got kids and stuff in. And the uh, bike racked right next to mine is a uh, Trek Speed Concept Nine series that's all blacked out with Zip 808s on it. <laughs> I'm like, all right, I guess it's on again. But anyway, I'm, I'm feeling. Um, we got a phone. We stayed at a hotel, and they got a phone call at midnight that our um, dog was barking, and the police were at our house. Our dog had gotten outside and was just barking in, into the darkness, and the neighbors. Kona's such a big black lab. Um, that's uh, too loud, and I agree with them. So we had to call the pet sitter to go over there in the middle of the night. So we ended up getting a crappy night's sleep. So I actually don't feel all that hot. And I did a bulletproof coffee this morning. And even though I've done them before, plenty of times, lots of times before, for some reason, I'm having to poop my brains out. I've probably been to the bathroom six times, seven times. Uh, But what is cool is we've got a kid's slide right over here next to me. The five- and six-year-old kids are already done, um, I think, 200. The adult's race is the same as the 11 to 15 year olds. Got a 200 yard swim, six something mile bike ride, and a one point little, one point almost nothing mile run. And um, that's us. So uh, I think I'm gonna get ready and uh, get ready to go. And we'll have more afterwards. They do have a nice big green area. We can sit up here and chill out. Okay, we'll see how Kai does. And the whole kids' triathlon team is here. It's a lot of fun. All right, that's it. Be right back.
1: All right, I'm here with the only person that beat me on the swim. Clayton, what's up? The coach, Clayton (laughs) Kruthertz. How old are you? 26. 26. You and I had first and second right. place on the swim. 200 one, yards. One, two in the swim. With lane ropes made out of uh, noodles. It was in a pool. It looked, right. felt more Inhale, like over water.
0: 13 to 15.
1: <laughs> Dude, you came the <laughs> other Third way. Third place
0: today, Amelia Villella. You came the other way, and I thought you were in my lane. Yeah.
1: Because Second place, Briley Bell. It was, it was so then a snake swim. You had a snake swim up and down the pool, and, and then a across today, the pool It's gonna be Lexi Harkrider as, as the lane ropes oh, waved back. And yeah, forth. so the lane ropes are real loose. So I thought you were in my lane. I
0: really did. I was like, oh, what is he doing? He's he's in the wrong lane. And then I sighted and then saw that the lane ropes. Of course, they're like all over the place. Yeah. So the swim was good. Yep, yeah, solid swim. Very then, short.
1: I wish all swims were that short.
0: You decided to ride your road bike, which, which I think was um, even. All right. choice. Yeah. Male 11 well, to 12 year olds.
1: Third place today, Aiden Crowell. I made a weak game Second week decision. Second place, Reesa Banderson. <laughs> game week decision to go with the road bike. And at first place today, the male 11 to 12 year olds, Sean O'Warting. I like to think that it paid off for me. Yeah, I was in and out of the turns quick on the straightaway. I probably lost a little bit of time, but. But then what, the really funny thing is the, there was a uh, course judge out there, but oh, you yeah. thought he was just yeah. a commuter I made, cyclist. I made a friend out on the course. Apparently he was the race official. I was unaware. Uh, we <laughs> So you gave uh, him some choice words? I had some adult words with him. He, he didn't really appreciate it, but. And he told you to. Why don't we talk back about yeah. this one that we disqualify he to me you. He the end of the race, yeah. but since he was going about 15 miles an hour, it was going to take him a while to meet me back at the end of the course. That was funny. Okay, and then on the run, uh, let's see there's a hill on the run twice
0: yeah, it was pretty a little, decent little hill
1: a little out and back two lap so he went race to the top of the hill run back down race to the top of the hill again yeah and then great fans out there um, of all ages then we did the typical thing where we look at the results and realize people would, yeah and probably unintentionally I'm sure cut the course uh, that's the problem with looping courses right yeah. yeah. There was a, a three-loop bike course and a two-loop run course. Apparently, people struggle with both of those facts. Yeah, <laughs> So you and I did like 14, what mm-hmm. did, was it, around like 14 Yeah, around, around 14 and a half. 14 and a half minutes, and then somebody did 11 yeah. or 10. They were, they were like, sub-11 on the bike, and that seemed a little quick. Yeah. A little quick. So, well, congratulations, man. Well, thank you. Yeah. I appreciate it. Congrats to you. We had a great day. All the kids had a good day. It was a beautiful day for a race. Yep. yep. All's well and cool. ends well. All right. Thanks, man.
0: Third place today for the 13 to 15 Team Brumley, David and Terran. Second place of on Blank Racing, Brett and Kai Blankner. And first place today, ladies and gentlemen, and the 13 Andrew Paul Cinnamon Squirrel playing hot. Is there anything after the hot? Yeah, like I don't
1: know, oh, yeah, I think they got beat my Cinnamon Squirrel. sort of sort of Faith and Sarah of Palm dashos, palm cinnamon
0: oh, you got- All right, super cool. So the kid that uh, Clayton got paired up with, uh, she and Clayton ended up getting first overall with an adult-kid combo, and then Kai and I got second with an adult-kid combo, and Clayton and I were, were pretty close. I think I got... I think I got seventh overall or sixth overall. I had that thing where it's a looping course, and some people didn't do all the loops, and then uh, they a mess trying to figure out the actual timing and all that stuff like that, but it doesn't really matter that much. That happens almost every race, and this race was uh, mostly about the kids. And I like this idea where they do the adult stuff mixed in with the kids' races because then uh, it gets the adults that aren't active thinking about doing it, and it gets the adults that are active Um, more interested in doing, taking their kids to that race um, so that everybody's having fun together. And the kids love comparing their times versus the the adults and seeing uh, who's faster and all that stuff. It's pretty cool. I really, really like it. See if you can find one of those in your area. Okay, next we have questions and answers from Twitter. I need to do this every once in a while. This is really cool. It's an honor being out there and people uh, thinking that that I'm a good resource to answer questions. And these are exactly the kind of question-answer things that I like to do. Um, I was captive in the vehicle for uh, on day two, I think it was. <laughs> and I said, hey, anybody have any questions about triathlon, let me know, and I will answer them via Twitter all day. Hit me up, and I got a bunch of them that were pretty good. Let me let me hop over to where those were. I can't believe that I actually lost it here. Where'd it go? Pulling it up, and I use Hootsuite for those that I want a good uh, Twitter client that's way more powerful than Twitter itself which seems to be dumbed down but let's see oh wow we got a bunch let me scroll down what was your pace per 100 oh this is this gets um this gets really interesting somebody asked Mark Mundy asked uh, my friend got uh half Ironman in September okay I'm gonna not try to correct, correct anybody's English too much on this because it is Twitter. You can It's nobody's fault of syntax and language on these things because we, we're all trying to cram in stuff in 140 characters. My friend got Half Iron Man in September. She needs help with veggie drink on the bike. The first thing that comes to mind is, why is, why is uh, veggies... Why is somebody drinking a veggie drink during a Half Iron Man? Half Iron Man, you start really pushing yourself. Yeah, I wrote... Hmm, veggie? What does she want in it? Fiber is usually a problem when working out. And she is, Mark says she's worried she will burn out. And I said, not if she takes in enough calories that are extremely easy to digest. No fiber, no fat, very low protein, if any. And that's what you should do. And somebody asked uh, Carson Martzen. Marston. Carson Marston mentioned um, Hazen Tri. Uh, you mentioned a, f- a few shows ago, uh, but what is the uh, best tire for triathlons? Also, is it worth buying cheaper wheels or better to rent? I don't know if I answered the wheel question. Oh, I did. Okay. Um, I said best tire by far, in all caps, is the Continental Grand Prix 4002 S's. Grand Prix 4002S. Uh, They are super fast and also puncture resistant. Pair with latex tubes if you want crazy speed. And then on the wheels uh, question, uh, and the question again is, is it worth buying cheaper wheels or better to rent aero race wheels? And I said, best to train often on the same wheels you want to race on. Then there's no handling surprises and crashes on race day. Invest in great wheels and enjoy them all the time. So I have um, zip I have a zip 404 front, a zip 808 rear that I got 15 years ago and they are incredible. And if they start sounding kind of weird or whatever, you can get the bearings redone and um, they're just amazing. And then on race day, I don't have weird wheels on the front that are going to affect my handling. I also almost always race with a disc on the back, a wheel cover that turns the rear into a disc. And um, so I train on that too. And uh, when I go out and race, the bike handles exactly like it does in training all the time. And if you buy high-quality wheels, then um, first off, you're training – it's going to feel amazing because you're riding high quality wheels all the time. And really, honestly, the training is the fun part (laughs) more than anything. You spend all those hours training hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours hours training. And then, um, why spend it on crap? You know, Oh, Emily just texted me. Uh, they just picked up the packets and they're deciding on whether to go to the zoo. I, I was born in Ohio in Cincinnati and, um, Uh, I don't need to go cruise around everything and see everything. I did. uh, I've done a bunch of this stuff, so they're they're going to go check out all this stuff. Okay, the next thing is I'm back. I'm back at the hotel while they're picking up packets and scoping out the race site. And we still have two days until the race, so I'm going to do that tomorrow. And next question: What was your pace per 100? Yards, I guess. Uh, when you started swimming, when did you start to make these gains? Uh, I made a bunch of gains in swimming recently. Okay, so there's two different answers to that. When? Oh, and this is from Don M. Roxo, Roxco, Roxco. And the problem is, is there's uh, there might be three answers to that question. Okay, I was on swim team. My parents put me on swim team when I was a kid, when I was nine, and the summer league swim team. Not these year-round swim teams that are ultra-competitive, but um, I somehow there was something about the way that I swam that I progressed pretty quickly and was doing really well. And I was first place in a lot of swimming stuff, but it's just summer swim league. It would be like summer league baseball or something like that, you know. But it is around Houston, and Houston is a, a big, big swimming city with lots of swim team competitions and stuff. And, um, so I was one of the better swimmers on summer swim league. Now growing up doing that, that is still not as hard as like high school swim team. And when I tried out for high school swim team, I only made junior varsity. There was varsity and junior varsity. It's a huge high school and junior varsity, um, in, I was in ninth grade, and in practices, we had—I had trouble. All of us did um, consistently swimming longer distances with uh, flip turns being mandatory. Our coach would hit us with a <laughs> with a kickboard. We'd bop us on our heads if we came up, you know, uh, not doing flip turns and stuff. And I struggled, and and um, so my, I guess my whole point of that is. Uh, When I was, I started swimming when I was nine, but when I was 13, 14, I was still having trouble swimming uh, longer distances well, and I was fast-ish, and I don't know what those times would be, probably 130s, 140s, or something like that, Um, and then, uh, those, that, that year on swim team, on JV swim team, got fixed me on uh, swimming, uh, doing flip turns, which speeds you up consistently, and also pacing yourself out, doing longer, bigger sets, and we would swim for an hour and a half, probably. And that fixed me a bunch. And then I went off to military school, and um, that's where we really started swimming hard, Harder, faster. I was on vars. I was swim team captain my junior year at military school. And then my senior year, I went back to public high school again. And, um, and this is that huge public high school again. And then really started working even harder and did a year's worth of um, super-duper-duper-super-duper duper, super, duper swimming. And I think that's when I got my 50-yard freestyle down to like 20 seconds, 21 seconds, something like that, probably 20.5. And I uh, was a crazy fast sprinter. and But that's still different than doing 100 yards on a continuous basis. So then years later, 10 years later, when I got into triathlon, i gotten out of shape and everything, but I was surfing and mountain biking and stuff, but I got out of swim shape. Um, I got my uh, – with, with just consistent swimming – I got my hour-long 100-yard pace, if I was doing 100s for an hour, I got that down to a 125, 126. And my goal was, it just happens to be really convenient, to swim an Ironman. That's the same time to swim an Ironman at an hour, 59 minutes, 59 seconds. And I think that's great. Um, that's, That's as fast as a lot of people will ever, ever, ever swim it and that's all you really need to be able to swim in and in, and in, uh, in triathlon and um but what happened recently was a couple years ago I broke my arm year and a half ago I broke my arm and I um in my in my elbow joint and it's all messed up and it's still not right but I did um Around that time, I'd gotten a drag chute. A drag chute is super cheap. Um, it ties around your waist and then drag behind you. It's like a foot wide uh, parachute, and the one I've got is the Finis Finis F I N I S one. Um, it's blue and it's a solid piece of fabric that um, yeah, you just drag behind you, and that thing is like it's like swimming uphill. It's, it finds watts for you and. Than those doses of harder with the drag shoot, I was using it to um, work on my elbow to try to increase uh, increase my um, my my therapy for my arm to try to um, become a better swimmer, and that uh, doses of that like five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen minutes of um, of drag shoot, uh, and these those are long compared to what most people think you would use a drag chute for. Um, drop my swim time down to a 120 uh, per 100-yard 100 pace, and if I swim for an hour consistent, and that is a 56-minute Ironman pace. And that's in zone two. That <laughs> is just cruising along. And the reason that this works is because you... What I learned this from, and we're going to talk about on next episode, is sweet spot training, is where you go kind of near your threshold, your FTP um, on the bike, and it's like 90% of your FTP, and then when you do that, doses of that, that is just enough to improve you, but also not exhaust you, like beat you up so bad, so that you can do it again in a couple of days, and do it again in a couple of days, and do it in a couple of days, and you're constantly stepping up your... Um, ability, but the thing is, is they need to be longer doses. They need to be five minutes, five to twenty minutes, in several of them, and of the sustained, harder effort, and then that stimulates muscle growth perfectly. And you're doing it while doing the thing that you're uh, that you're going to be racing in, doing the motions that you're going to be racing in, so that activates your neuromuscular abilities and it ups your tempo because the watts are being presented to you at a faster rate then you can work on a higher cadence which also cleans up your stroke and it makes everything easier when you actually are racing and um so that that brought up the the drag shoot thing so in spite of having a broken elbow and i can't straighten out my left arm which makes my swim form worse uh, using a drag shoot for 5, 10, 15 minutes at a time um, during my swims, uh, nonstop. Um, I actually improved my swim to faster than I'd ever swam before, which is really unusual, but that's the way a lot of uh, improvements actually happen. Um, next question. Your opinion on the best open-water goggles by Jason Boyles. He asked that, and um, I said... The clear Kaiman by Aquasphere goggles. I like those the best. Goggles can be a very personal thing, but clear goggles where the frames are clear and everything, that improves your vision a little bit. You can still see even more around. And then I've found over time that um, if you have shaded goggles, like um, then it kind of makes it hard to see the buoys. And if they're clear, then they're clear. And what you see is what you see. And you can just endure it for that half Ironman or Ironman swim or Olympic distance swim. Uh, no problem. Um, tinted lenses can kind of hide things and you need to see everything super clearly. And, um, and so clear goggles ended up being, being the best. That's my choice after all these years. And uh, the Kaimans by Aquasphere are big um, so you get a wide field of vision so that you can, uh, because you are open water swimming, you need to see what's going on around you so you don't get clocked in the head. And then also they're softer um, than the old school goggles. And so if you get kicked in the face or punched in the face, um, it's a softer impact. And then also um, you can wear them for an hour and they don't bother you anywhere near like what harder goggles do. They're soft, they're actually they're really cool. Um, To take care of them, get out of the water, and uh, I use Ultra Swim shampoo, and uh, that gets chlorine off of you. Well, I also definitely rinse my goggles and my swimsuit off, and then I try to get a little bit of that shampoo on them as well to kind of eat up the chlorine, and it seems to preserve the goggles and your swimsuit a little bit longer, so I don't get my my swimsuit splitting down the middle like I did that one time, and me walking through the hotel lobby with my swimsuit split down the back which I talked about on a previous episode. Uh, What do you eat on the bike during an Ironman? This is from Cross, Cross 77. Um, Just gels. And the thing is, this is a tough area because you need to practice on the bike what you're going to do on an Ironman. And what you do on an Ironman is not necessarily healthy. So you're kind of stuck with, it's a tough answer. Every time you try to go super healthy, then you don't have good workouts. And if you don't have good workouts, then what's the point of you working out? (laughs) So I've never really been able to find a good balance of this, but yeah, gels really do work. Um, I said safest bet is two or more gels per hour, and which you, you pre-mixed into your water bottle. So you go ahead and open the gels up, squeeze them out into your water bottle, shake them up. They mix into your water really fast. And then you've got 200, 300, 400 calories uh, per water bottle, and it's, now it's already diluted in the water. Because if you don't dilute them, then they're really sharp and painful on your stomach and then you sip the bottle i sip every five minutes i take a little sip and um, i use clear water bottles so that i can see how much i've taken and how much i've got left for the hour so i don't overdo it at any time i will not race without clear water bottles i don't understand how people have fuel inside um, aero bottles in the front between their arms um, on the front of the bike anywhere on the bike that aren't clear um, so they can't see how much that they've taken and how much they've got left. So they make sure they're not overdoing it or underdoing it. And then. Um, Kraus wrote back and said. I think I may need some real food to avoid bonking though. And well. The reason people might. You need calories to avoid bonking. It's super easy to digest calories to avoid bonking. So that goes back to. That's liquid food. But to avoid. Um, upset stomach or feeling that hollow feeling in the stomach. A lot of people feel like they need real food. And I said, yeah, Amrita bars are actually a, a little nibble of some solid food every once in a while. Gordo Byrne mentioned eating some nuts on rare occasion to um, put some fat and some solid food in your stomach and some salt in your stomach to keep your stomach busy. It doesn't take much, but people will... Yeah, they'll feel hollow, and uh, if you just do liquid calories, your stomach's gone. Your stomach goes, man, it's been a long time since you've, like, stretched me out with some real food. And um, I feel, I'm, so now I'm going to make you think that you're hungry, even though you're not. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, um, Amrita bars or some kind of easy-to-digest bars. I mentioned Lar bars, um, something with a little bit of fiber and uh, a little bit of volume to it, but not much, just very, very little. So, again, nuts are kind of like that, um, but not very much, just a tiny little bit. You can put that kind of stuff in a Ziploc and tap into it on occasion uh, out of your back jersey pocket. All right, we have, oh, somebody said um, Manic Defense on Twitter asked, can you make us a video of what uh, swimming with a um, drag shoot looks like? And so I guess I'm going to have to do that. I haven't had an opportunity to do that since I answered the question. I said, sure. But the question was, is like, how do you do turns and stuff with a drag shoot? Well, you do them just like you would do in um, regular swimming. Um, and it just takes a couple turns, a few turns, and you start to figure it out. But I guess what's going on here is most people can't um, imagine using something for more than uh, like a lap or two and swimming and that's the problem with all of us that grew up on swim team is we um, because your swim team races are just 50 to 100 yards usually I mean it's rare for you to go longer than that then um, we never use tools for very long we never use an instrument for very long so how in the world would you would you do a kick set for 20 minutes <laughs> you know And it's like, well, you do it, but you do it. um, You don't have to do it very hard because it's the 20 minutes of it, the 10, 20 minutes of it, that um, at a slightly harder effort, that is massively improving. But we only know like, we're like really hard or not at all. So, um, how would you use a drag shoot for 10 minutes for 20 minutes? It just sounds crazy. And it's like, well, the first time you do it, you go about three minutes and you think you're going to die. And then um, you get smarter and go, hey, let me find the gear in between what I was doing here and uh, go a little bit easier and try to stretch it out. And then then you learn, okay, this is the appropriate speed. This is the appropriate effort. So yeah, I'll have to make a video of that, of how to do flip turns or open turns with a drag shoot. Um, audio version of it right now is you approach the wall on one side of the lane and right before you get to the wall um, you move over so the drag chute's dragging behind you it still stays on the right side but you've moved over to the left and then when you push off from the wall you don't bump into that drag chute because it's still hanging out on the on the right side of the wall which is the opposite well, the right side of the lane and now you're swimming back on the left side of the lane your other right and it's not in your way anymore uh, power meter. Uh, Mike Boone asks at Boondocks, asked power meter or smart trainer if you had to choose. So, a smart trainer is one of these trainers that has a power meter in it. So, basically, if you only had them, if you had a thousand bucks and that you're going to spend on yourself, would you get a power meter or an indoor-only power meter? A power meter always on your bike or an indoor-only power meter? And I said that you would get a regular power meter on your bike that you can use all the time. Then what you can do is you can use it out on your training rides, outdoors if you go outdoors. Um, then you get a dumb trainer, which is 150 $200, $300, bucks, um, indoors. And you um, use the power meter that's built into your bike now as the power meter, um, when you train indoors and then you also have a power meter on your bike for when you race and it's the um it's using it during the race it's using it during training to tell you what is good training and what you should do in a race and then during the race if you don't have a power meter then how are you supposed to know what you should do and what you should be doing because your power meter is sitting back at home in your smart trainer so yeah Um, i've done a power meter on my bike for years Um, i'm getting a, a smart trainer with a power meter built in it coming up in a month or two and we'll review that and stuff but i mean that's after years of having one built in my bike and i wouldn't have it any other way okay question is if it normally takes you 20 seconds to go the length of a pool without a drag shoot i've tested this how long does it take you with a drag chute? And it's not twice as long, it's about one and a half times as long. So if it took you 20 seconds, then it would take 30 seconds, um, maybe 35 seconds, to go the length of the pool. So it doesn't quite turn a 25-yard pool into a 50-yard pool, but it's close. It turns a 25-yard pool into, if you want a drag chute, into a uh, 40-yard pool.) <laughs> It's something else, man. It's really, really cool. Okay, and then the question was, how many grams of carbohydrate per hour um, while biking? And this is from Slant Bjorn, and that's um, that really depends on your metabolism and how much you've learned to stomach. Big time pros I've had on the show will talk about 400 calories per hour, which is 200 grams. No, that's that's 100 grams of um, you multiply it by four. per hour. And so let's do it in grams and then let's do it in in, uh, calories. So grams, um, 20 to what's 20 times four? Is that 80? Uh, No, I mean 50. Yeah, that's it. 50 grams of carbohydrates per hour is the low end. Um, And that's if you're like, you're really sugar sensitive and you don't need that much Um, But you're really playing with fire, but also it's smarter to underfuel a little bit. Then you can always add more um, than if uh, overfueling and then getting sick. And then um, people that are really, really fast and that can slam a ton of carbs and they've trained up to it can do 100 or more grams of carbohydrate per hour. And that's a lot. (laughs) I can do like 300 350 and feel pretty good and that's a mix of multidection powder and maple syrup and salt stick um uh, which we'll get to in a second and um I feel actually just fine it's a lot of it's dependent on water how much water um you you put in there okay and then in calories that's um uh gosh I was hoping I was saying just a second ago, it's up to 100 grams of carbohydrates. And calories, that's like 200 to 400 um, uh, calories per hour in carbohydrate. And the thing is, is you kind of need to bank that stuff on the bike so that when you start running, that you've got plenty on you. Um, Would you recommend, this is Keith Wilson, would you recommend joining a CrossFit class for Ironman training? Or just do a weekly strength session. Um, CrossFit, I like to call injury fit <laughs> or cross injury. Um, the intensity and the pace that they do those things is uh, really high. And the um, CrossFit seems to be an end unto itself. Well, really the whole point is to lift weights. And um, you're already getting your aerobic fitness in with training uh, aerobically doing this, doing this run, bike, swim. So no, I don't recommend CrossFit. I don't have anything against CrossFit. Um, except there seems to be a high rate of injury, um, because you're trying to do things as fast as you can and doing that with heavy weights or even medium weights is, uh, kind of pushing, pushing your luck and the, um, where if you just do a strength session on occasion and you focus on the areas that you need to improve, you get the same thing. So I would, um... And also you're trying to reduce stress. All this training is a lot of stress. With triathlon and CrossFit is stressful. Like it's, you know, intense. And I like just going to the gym and um, lifting a few weights, focusing on the areas that I know would improve me, like doing some quads or um, lats, you know, listening to, to just kind of mellow music and just like improving those areas and then get out of there and then go for a jog or something like that. But again, um, and I have noticed that doing weightlifting for sure makes you a much better uh, runner. Uh, it really strengthens up your legs. And so when you go really long running, um, you, uh, don't get a, you don't fatigue as fast because your legs can take that damage. Okay, that is it for the uh, Twitter questions. We have how to get water out of a wheel next. But first, let's uh, mention another sponsor we got salt stick where did you go i want to say it right let's see salt stick okay you can um go to saltstick.com slash zentry and with the password zentry again um you can get 25 Is it 25% off? Holy cow. With that discount code, that is only for people that listen to the podcast. I can't put that out there for anybody except for fans of the show that listen to this show. So, man, don't miss out. Go use it. Um, You can... uh, Take other salt supplements if you want, but Salt Stick is the one that has an exact match for what you sweat out. It doesn't just have sodium. It has potassium and magnesium all kinds of stuff in there that you sweat out at the same ratios that you sweat it out. And therefore, you're putting stuff back in that you sweat out. It's super cool. In a study, uh, athletes that took Salt Stick finished a 70.3 race in an average of 26 minutes faster than the other control group Holy cow. So when I make my own mix, I bought maltodextrin in bulk. That way it's super cheap. And then I take maple syrup. And I do, if I'm doing a, like a long bike ride and I want to feel good when I finish, I do, it's not 300 calories, but it's, yeah, it's about 250 calories of maltodextrin powder. And then I do two tablespoons of maple syrup, which is about another 100 calories and so now I'm up to 350 calories, and then right now I'm putting in one capsule per hour of uh, salt stick. I could put in more. I could put in two if I wanted to. I might try that, and um, I, that's one bottle, and then I make another bottle, I make another bottle. I make a bottle per hour, and it's so cool because salt stick, I can just open up the capsules and squeeze out this with my finger, I'm doing it right now with my finger, I can roll the capsule in my hand and the the electrolytes spill out into my water, into my fuel bottle, and then I just shake it all up, shake it up, and then boom, I've got my fuel bottle for the hour, and I feel amazing, I was telling Emily the other day, I go, man, I think I've got, she's not a man, but I go, man, I think I've got my uh, fueling worked out, I take this and I just feel fantastic. And it's got everything in it that I need. I love the maple syrup. Um, It's got a mix of of starch and then simple sugars and then my electrolytes. Boom. Love it. Absolutely love it. Oh, then I take matcha powder, which is a green tea powder, which is good for your teeth. And it makes you feel good. And I mix that in as well, like a teaspoon, I think, per hour of uh, matcha powder. And that's my fuel. Looks cool because it's green. My fuel is like this greenish brown. <laughs> That's how you know you're being healthy is when your food looks like, like uh, something that should be going the other direction. But the um, the discount code is <laughs> well, the password is zentry, and that again gets you into saltstick.com. Go there and then use zentry and. Um, if you want to find a, a store locator, if you want to buy it in person at a, at a store, you can go shop because this discount, uh, was in 25 or uh Zintry, bleh is, um, 25% off is, um, only good in the United States. Sorry guys. I can only do what I can do. All right, let's get back to our question about water in the wheels. So we were, um, this has happened twice now. Traveling with bikes on the back of vehicles uh, in the rain. I guess you could be out on a long ride in the rain. I saw this posted on Slow Twitch recently, too. So I know that's why I keep mentioning it is because I know other people experience this. Um, These wheels that have deep dish arrow rims, so they have a hollow cavity in them. After being in the rain for a while, you can notice that there's water um, sloshing around in the wheel. It's really weird. So, uh, what's going on? Well, somehow, some way, um, water gets in either through the spoke holes. If you've got um, flow wheels, like um, these wheels where it's just a fairing, it's not structural carbon, um, it can get into the spoke holes uh, where the spokes run through the fairing. Or if not that way, then where the valve comes through the uh, carbon, water somehow can uh, run into the rim right there. So that it gets in the rim that way. Well, why didn't it come back out? Well, gravity's pulling it down, and um, the uh, the underside of the spoke hole, where the where the tube is coming through, well, if your tire's inflated, then it has pressure up against the bottom of that spoke hole. It's creating a seal against that the underside of the spoke hole, and the water doesn't have anywhere to go. So. Once I figured this out, that the water is not in the tire, it's not in the tube, that would be crazy, but it's actually in the rim. Um, What you have to do, one way to do it is you take the the wheel off the bike and then you um, take the tire and the tube all the way off the bike. And this is what I did last time, all the way off the rim, I mean. And this is what I did last time. And yeah, all the water came out and it was great. But I had to uh, take partially the um, tire and tube off the uh, rim. And, oh, and by the way, the reason you want to get the water out of there is you're paying an insane amount of money for lightweight wheels, and now you've added one of the heaviest elements on Earth, (laughs) which is water. You want that water out of there, and I guess it could get funky or something like that over time get gross. But anyway... The, uh, and that'll really affect you when you're accelerating out of turns, by the way, the, the heavier weight of the wheels. So um, what I figured out this time, because driving up here to Ohio, we uh, went through some rainstorms, some good rain, and we took the bikes off the back. And guess what? Slosh, slosh, slosh. Two out of the four bikes have uh, water in the rims now. They're like, oh, man. And so I tried something. I go, man, I do not want to take the, the tire and tube all the way or partially off the rim to get this done. Um, because every time you take a tube, a tire and tube off, or at least a tire, with a tire lever, you're running the risk of pinching the uh, tube and you're putting it back on. You're running the risk of pinching the tube and tearing it with the tire lever and then causing a flat. So this time, what I did is... I took the, the wheel, Kai's front wheel off of his bike and I deflated the tube, but I did not take it off. And now with no air pressure, I did not take the tire off either with no air pressure on the underside of the uh, rim hole where the um, valve goes through the water, you hold, you do it so the valve is, is uh, towards the ground, Uh, is at the lowest part of the wheel. Um, so water is down where the valve is, right? Gravity's all pulling that down. So then you take your fingers and you pinch the, um, the valve uh, and the tube and the tire all at once. And you pull it downwards towards the center of the earth with, your, with one hand. And now the, it has, now the water doesn't have anything holding it inside the rim anymore. And it runs out. Now it'll run out some out of the tube and tire and then some um, uh, out in, onto your hand and stuff. And um, so then you turn the tire on its side, just you get an angle going, and you start squeezing the uh, tire and tube and working your way around a little bit. And eventually you can get all that water to come back out because uh, it's settled now into the tire. If you don't do that, then when you reinflate the tube and tire, it's probably going to just... <laughs> With pressure push it right back up into the rim again but anyway it worked i got the water out of the rim uh, with no more than um, taking the wheel off and deflating the tire the tube and tire and leaving them on the rim um, but just doing some um, shenanigans with uh, pulling the the valve Giving the valve some space so the water could run out of the rim and, and out, out onto the uh, ground. Okay, now, that's kind of hard to explain, isn't it? That's almost video worthy. We have an email from somebody with some flow wheels. Ah, from Lars. Lars, he loves his exclamation points, which is good. He said, dude, exclamation point, I had to share. I just got my first set of arrow wheels. I went with flow cycling. That's flo They've been on the show, actually, uh, the the owners of that. Uh, Flow Cycling 60 uh, front and 90 rear. So that's millimeters, by the way, how deep the dish is, the rims are. Um, Can't freaking wait to try them on my first 70.3 steelhead. Stoked exclamation point. Also, thank you for an absolutely awesome podcast. Tons of helpful insights using UCAN. Okay, so UCAN is a slow starch. We have a discount code for that. We'll read that in here in a second and hornet juice hornet juice is an amino acid powder that um ups your fat burning of uh releases fat from your metabol- from your body so that you can have more energy while- oops back i just got a call from emily they're uh done with uh packet pickup and checking out the uh the course for today it's pouring rain but they're on their way to the cincinnati zoo okay um horcan uh horcan you can in hornet juice Horkan and you juice, unit juice. okay, uh, all the time now, both are great. you know, you feel the difference for sure you do, man. It's awesome stuff. I wanted to ask you though uh, what are what is the best heart rate range to be in to increase metabolic efficiency to burn more fat? Should it be all zone two or zone three as well to burn fat at a higher heart rate? Anyway, I just wanted to share the Stoke exclamation um, point n b. And I'm not sure what MB stands for, but exclamation mark. (laughs) He wrote again with an exclamation point. Uh, Cheers, Lars. Okay, this is really interesting because I heard something the other day that was a really good saying. Um, Yeah, you can get really metabolically efficient in zone two, but zone two, you're not really pushing yourself. And, um, And the more metabolically efficient you get, actually, you do burn body fat in zone three. It doesn't completely switch off. If Once you uh, get metabolically efficient, you're burning fat at higher heart rates, a higher percentage of fat at higher heart rates. So you're burning it at zone 3. So why not train a little bit like that, right? And then you start getting uh, zone 1, zone 2, zone 3, zone 4, zone 5 are the five different heart rate zones. So zone 1 is – zone 0 is just sitting there. Uh, Zone 1 is like walking. Zone 2 is – uh, uh, you're moving, but the pace is slow enough where you can kind of hold a conversation with somebody. And it's a, long, it's a wide range. Um, then once you break into zone three, that's where you start getting down to, um, if you're going to speak a sentence, you have to pause during the sentences to catch air. Zone four, you can only do one word at a time. Um, and zone five, you can't even speak. Zone five, you can only do for like 15 seconds or something like that. Zone four, you can do for five minutes, maybe. Um, maybe three minutes. Uh, zone three, you can do long time. But um, zone two, you can do for a super, super long time. So all this stuff preaches that uh, to to increase your fat metabolism, do zone two all the time, no matter what. And it's like, well, yeah, but then you're gonna get really good at going really slow. <laughs> So how do you step up your game to the next level is, uh, yeah, mix in some zone three. Those are those sweet spots. Zone three, kind of almost zone four, that's that sweet spot training um, where you, um, you're you pushing the pace a little bit, so you're kind of scaring your body into uh, going, man, we better up our game. And the really cool saying I heard the other day was um, raising your ceiling. And, th- and in this case, we're talking about your ceiling is your, your – um, your top end potential, right? Pushing up your top end a little bit by training more towards your top end um, doesn't just lift your ceiling, it lifts your whole house. So think about that. I'm living uh, in a house with uh, 10 foot ceilings and it's one story, right? And it's got a 10 foot ceiling in it. And um, what happens if I raise my ceiling to 11 foot? Well, I've lifted my whole house and what that does is it also raises the foundation. It raises your zone two up uh, a little bit. And what is raising up is your speed at zone two. So it raises up your easy speed a little bit too. So yes, man, I definitely recommend doing um, zone three. And for those workouts, um, you can add in just a little bit more carb and or you could do lower. I mean, you got to experiment and play around with it, you know. Um, there's this whole thing now, instead of being low-carb all the time, um, and I actually like this a lot, is you do super low-carb sometimes. And um, what, what I've become is opportunistic. If I'm at a point in time or a place uh, where um, I'm not that hungry and it's going to be a long time till I eat and I've worked out and I've burned through all my carbs... Um, I take advantage of that and kind of fast a little bit until I feel bonky, and then what that does is it teaches your metabolism to be more resourceful and start pulling fat as uh, as fuel, and then you just do that every once in a while, then um, you're building up your, your resourcefulness for uh, metabolizing fat, and then when you're out working out, then you don't need as much sugar because you've been, you've been exposing yourself with doses of, um, needing, uh, using, needing and using fat to get by. It can be during workouts. Even it can be just sitting around at work, sitting around at home. Um, but then, uh, those doses of, oh, let's say you're doing it during a workout. That means, Hey, um, this workout, um, You know, I don't really feel like fueling all that much. I'm not sure I really need that much. And I feel like I'm close to bonking. Dude, get bonky with it. (laughs) Ride it out, man. Bonk yourself a little bit. Because what I've noticed is is if you do do low uh, blood sugar and get bonky during a workout, guess what? Your next workout, it happens a little bit later. You can go farther before you bonk. And then your next workout, you can go a little bit farther and go a little bit farther. So you can train yourself to use less blood sugar um, and more body fat to uh, get the job done. But the thing is, is you don't want to do it all the time. Because apparently, if you do low carb all the time, then you start uh, messing up your uh, metabolic system, your, um, your hormones. It's just like too much stress on your body. And it would be like working out all the time, right? You don't work out 24-7. You work out in doses, and then that improves you. And so, um, yeah, you don't have to be zone two all the time because how are you ever going to get uh, faster? You'll get faster up to a point, but then you'll build your one-story house, but then that's it. So how do you lift – how do you add another floor You know, you got to do, you got to lift your ceiling a little bit, lift your ceiling, lift your ceiling, lift your ceiling. So do some of that zone two, zone three, zone four. On occasion, if you pay attention, if you do the Zen thing and pay attention to how your body responds, um, and how hard it is to work out a few days later, then you'll know how much to do. And again, next episode, we'll talk about sweet spot intervals and, um, how that ends up being really, really, really smart because you can get back to doing, uh, working out, um, quickly and uh, it seems to be like the nicest ratio of hard work to recovery that most people have found out there all right let's mention um, some ways to support the show where's our you can oh you can we have a discount code if you buy uh, this super starch which is a long acting um, slow acting very very slow acting starch so your body has just enough carbs in it to be happy but not enough to shut down your, um, your uh, fat burning. That's the stuff, that's how UCAN works. It's actually really cool. If you take in too much sugar, then your body goes, I don't need no fat, I'm going to just do sugar, and then you turned off your fat burning. So can is the stuff, U-C-A-N, that um, is your carb, but it's a super slow burning carb, so you don't get a sugar spike, and then your body won't shut off uh, fat burning pretty cool. And we have a discount code. If you go to UCAN's website, you can order it and get 15% off with discount code ZENTRY. Blam! I like it for swimming because it's a long-acting, slow-acting carb. And when you're swimming, you, say in an Ironman or something like that, you can't stop and fuel. I mean, I guess you could. But in swimming, if you stop to fuel, you're going zero miles per hour. If you're running, you can fuel. If you're biking, you can fuel while you're going. So you can drip feed stuff in. But you can't drip feed stuff in swimming without coming to a complete stop every single time. So why not take something that you can take once before you swim and um, and then have energy throughout the swim. And that's how you do it. You can 15% off with ZenTry. Okay, also, shout out to Sunto and... Sunto makes the Spartan Ultra and the Spartan wristwatch, uh, heart rate built into the wristwatch. Super cool. Been using those, and then um, if you want to support the show, you like all these tips, how to go long, how to do it smart, all these years of experience doing this stuff, then you can support the show yourself in person. By getting some hornet juice or doing one time donations. So, on zentrafon.com, the website, zentrafon.com, on the left hand side is PayPal buttons if you want to do a one time donation or do a recurring donation. Um, either way, you do that. I, um, I've got your email. You get my email, and I also will answer your questions if you send them in. I feel like I owe you if you send in a dom- donation and sometimes I'll read your stuff on the air, and I will read your name on the air if you donate. And it's cool because you can do it one time, or you can do a recurring. You can set it and forget it, which I love, or you can, yeah, do it one time, which is pretty cool. And also, with your donation, if you have a comment, a lot of times I'll read that on the show. Oh, shoot, I almost forgot to mention the donations for this episode. Uh, Like I said, you can donate, and I'll read your name on the podcast. And here we go. Hunchu. Tanya Roy, John Mulan, Katie Jo Favia, James Godak, Peter Salzen, Matthew Heinz, Matthew Froese, Allison Frutos, Matthew Homer, and this is interesting, uh, Matthew sent in a one-time donation, and for, I do this, for 50 bucks, one-time donation, I'll answer all your email questions for... Uh, about 50 bucks worth of my time, which is a few hours. <laughs> I'll sit down and, uh, well, it's like one hour, but I, I kind of stretch it out. I enjoy it. So I'll answer your specific uh, questions, um, by, um, by email back to you. And, uh, until we get to the bottom of it, until you're happy with your answers. So if you're interested in doing that, let me know. My email is texafornia kind of at uh, training question, racing. Anyway, um, let's go back to this. Uh, M. Webb, Spiros Fetsis, Curtis Fossen, Curtis and Joseph Dieber, diber and Joseph Rogalski. There was another Brett in here. Not Brett Hoyer, but a different Brett than I thought I had. But anyway, thanks very much for your donations to help support the show I do the best I can because of people like you. All right, let's get back to it. And then the other way is Hornet juice. I mentioned earlier is on the right hand side. It's an amino acid powder. It's got a little bit of carbs in it, but it's mostly an amino acid powder that your body, when you eat it, your body goes, whoa, holy cow. It's a time to burn some body fat. It's really a trip. It makes you feel like a diesel engine. It's absolutely crazy. You mix it in with your fuel. And it is the uh it's a whole bunch of different amino acids, but it's in a ratio and it's proprietary um of this amino acid at, you know, like thirty percent this, sixty percent or fifteen percent that, and twenty percent this, da da da. And and um that ratio of amino acids signals your body it's time to burn fat. And what's really cool is it's made um in a lab to <laughs> as a, as a replica of what is in the Japanese killer hornet's body. And the, um, Japanese killer hornet is the longest flying highest, um, power to weight ratio animal in the world. It's this, it's this huge hornet that's heavy and, um, it flies these crazy long distances and it does so by metabolizing its body fat that it stores up. By eating this same ratio of amino acids and it works it's absolutely crazy I get these emails all the time from people that are like whoa you don't feel like a buzz like from caffeine you just feel at hour two hour three hour four in your bike ride like no fade it's really really cool so I absolutely love it I've been using it forever and I use it on my longer bike rides and um, also you can take it Just mix it in some water. I actually kind of like it with Diet Coke uh, for some reason. Um, It's got kind of a grapefruit flavor to it. And then, um, so kind of like as a snack to turn up your fat burning um, after a workout. That thing where I was telling you about where you wanna go like low carb and um, metabolize body fat and train your body to do that. And, uh, And yeah, up your metabolism, your fat burning, that would be a perfect thing to do for it. So anyway, that's on the right hand side. And that's, uh, you can order 10-pack or a 20-pack of Hornet Juice. The order comes to me. I get your name. I send you back an email going, hey, what is up? And then, <laughs> then I tell Hornet Juice, which is uh, based out of New Zealand. And then Hornet Juice in New Zealand, I give them your address, and then they ship it to you. So it's got to come, when you put your order in, it takes a day for me to get it and process it onto them. And then they send it to you. And the downside is it's got to come from New Zealand by regular mail, so it takes like 10 days. So that is quite a while. But the upside is, is you get a package from New Zealand with all their cool uh, stampage on there, which is kind of neat. And you also get an email from me saying, hey, your Hornet juice is on its way. Because a lot, what a lot of people do with that email is they turn right back around and go, hey, thanks, Brett. By the way, what tire pressure should I run in my <laughs> I'm like. Oh, here we go! And uh, but I love answering these questions because I want to see more and more people doing triathlon. Um, if we, if the more tr- people we try long distance triathlon is uh, or being successful in any kind of triathlon distance, but especially the longer distance, there's certain things that if you do these certain things, you'll have a great time and be able to go really far and really long. But so many of these things seem to be a mystery to us. It was to me when I first started out. Um, And the more I get that information out there, then the more triathletes that we can have that are happy and healthy and we're just overrunning our local communities with just happy, super healthy, lean, fast, um, go-getter, getting things done, um, successful triathletes then the more facilities that we will build are all around us, our towns will build, to um, cater to us, you know, more pools, more safer bike, bike routes, bike lanes, more signs up that say, watch out for cyclists, because there's more cyclists, because we all know how to do this stuff now. Uh, more running paths, more triathlons, more triathlon teams for kids, because this stuff isn't a mystery anymore. Um, it's actually totally doable, and the lifestyle, about what it takes to do it, Um, we've got it all figured out, because a lot of us do have it figured out, and we just want to share it with everybody, so that everybody can be doing it, and then uh, everybody's happier, and the whole world is a happier place, is that's, that's where we want to go, that's my goal, all right, (laughs) oh man, that's my uh, manifesto, so, That's why I do the show, and uh, that's why uh, your support really, really, really helps. It's not for me. It's not for you. It's for all of us so we can have a better world, okay? So next episode, we are going to talk about sweet spot intervals, and also I'm going to talk about normalized power and what that means on your bike computer, and then also your variability index and why you want that as low as possible. It's so... It's so interesting and you can manipulate that to your own benefit that I actually on a race, I got my variability index to be below one, which is theoretically impossible, (laughs) but just to show you, you can do it. Yeah. That's how much you're surging. You don't want to surge during an during a uh, triathlon, uh, because that burns you up prematurely. You want to be, um, if you're going to surge at all, you want it to be on the run to at the finish line. So we're going to talk about that, how to manipulate that, and how to get more results out of that. And then also, we'll, have, we'll be done with this uh, Kids Nationals here in Cincinnati, Ohio. And I'll bet I'll have some audio from that, some interviews with some of the kids and parents, and uh, see where that goes. All right? So everybody stay safe out there. Work the uphills. Cruise the downhills. That's the fastest way to finish. And keep the rubber side down out. Hey. Hey. How would you like to become an endurance monster? Get coached for your next big endurance event by yours truly, Coach Brett from Zentri. For only $1.99 a month, I build you a completely custom triathlon training plan using the industry's gold standard training platform. With Training Peaks, you can easily go online, see what your workouts are, then upload your results seamlessly that very same day then I build your next training block based on how you've been doing. I review every single workout and provide comments on what I'm seeing that you've done great and where we need to improve. If you want to get faster, better, stronger, and be able to go longer, don't do it alone. Reach out to me and we can work together with my depth of experience and get you to the finish line as fast as possible. Send me an email, texifornia.com at gmail.com that's t-e-x-a-f-o-r-n-i-a texifornia at gmail.com and put coaching in the subject line see you at the start line